Welcome to The People's Lawyer, a podcast from the National Association of Attorneys General, the nonpartisan organization representing America's attorneys general. In each episode, we'll explore the role of the 56 state and territory AGs as chief legal officers for their states and their work protecting the rule of law and the U.S. Constitution. My name is Allison Gilmore, and I'm Chief Communications Officer at the National Association of Attorneys General. In today's episode, Montana Attorney General and NAG President Tim Fox sits down with North Carolina Attorney General Josh Stein. Well, I sure appreciate uh, Attorney General Josh Stein of North Carolina giving, giving us a little time here today to, to have a, a, a little chat about uh, you know what it's like to be an Attorney General and some of the, the great work that he's doing in North Carolina. So uh, welcome, Attorney General Stein, and I'm going to call you Josh because I, I count you as one of my friends, and uh, we'll get started here. So you know, most attorneys general have a primary responsibility uh, for enforcing consumer protection within their states or territories. And as one of the two co-chairs of the NAG Consumer Protection Committee, and as a former Consumer Protection Division chief yourself, I know that you're very passionate about educating and protecting consumers, not just in North Carolina, but across our nation. So can you tell us a little bit about why this work is so important to you. Thank, thank you, Tim. I really appreciate the opportunity to have this conversation with you, and, and very much value your leadership of NAG. Um, I am. I, I love serving as chair of the Consumer Protection Committee of the National Association of Attorneys General because uh, consumer protection is one of the core functions of what attorneys general do, and it's certainly one of the parts of our job that the people of our states most most readily understand. You know, it's all about enforcing the rules of the road. We want companies to treat their customers fairly uh, and, and transparently. And when they don't, it, it hurts consumers. They get taken advantage of. They might lose money. Um, it might cost them a, a lot of money. Uh, but it also has a bigger impact on, on the broader economy because there are other companies, the, the competitors, that are doing things the right way, and it makes it hard for them to compete when someone else is cutting corners. And so enforcing the rules of the road is just a really key part of the work we do as attorneys general. You know, that's great, and I know that you are uh, one of the leading attorneys general on many different consumer protection issues across the nation, not the least of which is with the uh, opioid manufacturers and opioid distributors, and I just want to thank you personally for your leadership and your work in that area. So let's talk a little bit about some of the pressing issues that are facing consumers today. Uh, particularly in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic. How are attorneys general working to address uh, these issues in in, uh, our current situation? Uh, uh, Creatively and aggressively. When scammers flourish, they love to exploit any moment of fear and uncertainty. Uh, And so the coronavirus pandemic is actually gold for them because people are legitimately scared and we don't have full information. So what we've been seeing is a a raft of different types of scams. Uh, Some have to do with, uh, here's a miracle cure for the virus, or here's an antibiotic for the virus, which of course neither of those things exist yet. Here, uh, your neighbor has 
contracted um, the disease and you have to call this number with a credit card uh, to respond. They, they're playing on the tracing fears. Uh, there are <laughs> there are air conditioning companies that say we can come clean out your air ducts on your a HVAC system and eliminate all bacteria and viruses to keep you safe. Uh, and we're seeing all the uh, and then of course all the economic uh, scams, whether it has to do with people's economic impact payments, you know the stimulus payments, or for small businesses the PPP loans. Um, they're, they're either presenting themselves the scammers as a bank or the IRS and asking for information in order to get the money to the person, when obviously what they're trying to do is to steal that money or steal their personal information, which they can then use to make money. Um, the, the scams are coming through every uh, means, uh, channel of distribution. They're coming through email. They're coming through social media. They're coming through text. And of course, most prevalently are, are robocalls. And something that you and I have been working on, Tim, is fighting the scourge of robocalls long before the whole coronavirus uh, uh, pandemic hit, because robocallers are ripping off our most vulnerable people. And uh, happy to talk about some of the great work we've done together in that regard. Well, that's a great uh, segue, Josh. And you have been a leader in the area of fighting robocalls. So let's visit a little bit. Uh, can you explain the efforts of the national attorneys general that you've been leading uh, in trying to stop uh, robocalls? And, and what do we hope, what do you hope to achieve in the coming months uh, with respect to robocalls? Well, we, uh, we were part of a, a 51 attorney general coalition, you and I and all our colleagues, including the district of Columbia. And, you know, a lot, I, I want to just do one step back before I talk about the robocalls, Tim, because you're a Republican and I'm a Democrat. And so many people see the world through this partisan lens that uh, the, the two political parties in America are at loggerheads and fighting over everything. And that is just not the case uh, to the same degree as it relates to attorneys general. And particularly so on protecting consumers. And so this has been a bipartisan effort. Uh, what we've done is, over the course of about a year, uh, negotiated with the largest phone companies a series of anti-robocall principles, and there are eight of them. And about half of them have to do with commitments that the phone companies are going to make in terms of uh, investing capital to deploy new technologies so that we can screen out most of these calls before they ever hit our phone. But then the other half of the principles have to do with cooperating with law enforcement, cooperating with us, so that we can actually hold these uh, criminals accountable. And the way you do that is trace the call back from your phone number, which you, whatever your carrier is, that carrier got the call from another carrier, which got the call from another carrier, which got the call from the originating carrier. And they have to trace that call back so that we know they have the technology to do that. So we know who is the uh, originating uh, uh, carrier. And just a, uh, a couple weeks ago, two weeks ago, I was part of a multi-state lawsuit against some guy in Texas who was using the Internet to make hundreds of millions of calls uh, across the country, including 75 million calls to the people of North Carolina. And so we've gone to court and we've gotten a preliminary injunction against him uh, to stop him from, from violating our 
anti-robocall laws. So I wish that we could just flip a switch and robocalls would go away and we wouldn't be harassed uh, by them any longer, but it takes time and it takes time for all the phone companies to deploy the technology and then constantly modify the technology according to whatever tweaks and changes the criminals are making. Uh, And we're making good progress. And I do want to thank the telecommunications industry for being uh, cooperative partners in this effort. You know, that, that's great work, Josh, and, and it's been a, an absolute pr- pleasure to work with you and our colleagues. And, uh, well, I, and I appreciate your, your revealing that you're actually, you're a Democrat. I wasn't sure about that, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> uh, well, so transformational leadership and civility are the focus of my 2020 uh, National Association of Attorneys General Presidential Initiative. And, and you kind of alluded to that, the, the fact that you know, we can, attorneys general are, are historically have been great at working together across uh, political party lines to get things done. And in particular, I'm passionate about encouraging and promoting collaboration among state attorneys general. And I know you are too, uh, yeah. regardless of the political party. So what, what have you learned uh, from working across party lines with your attorney general colleagues and can you share with us any examples of, of collaboration among attorneys general that you've found particularly inspiring? There are so many, and I mean, I, there are really so many, but I'll, I'll identify a few. Um, part of uh, what motivates me is I want to get things done that will help people in my state. And North Carolina, as you know, is a swing state. It, it, it isn't blue, it isn't red, it, it's purple. And, you know, you can stand up and use your voice and score all kinds of political points and, and make your party base happy. Uh, it's pretty easy to do that in these days because there's so much division. But you're not going to get as much done that way. I, I'm all about getting things done. And so even when I was in the state legislature, I would work uh, across party lines to get get things done. Uh, And so a lot of the issues I've been advancing here in North Carolina uh, have been uh, in the criminal justice reform area. And that's actually been one area where the parties have been fairly collaborative, uh, even in these times. So some examples, for instance, the the Federal First Step Act, which uh, Congress passed, uh, I think it was about a year and a half ago now, Um, There was an initiative at that point with Attorney General Bondi and Attorney General Paxton from Texas, both of whom are Republicans, and I think they would both identify as conservative Republicans. And then we had on the Democratic side Attorney General Racine from the District of Columbia and me, and and we wrote a a national sign-on letter for Attorneys General urging Congress to take this reform step to make it easier for people who were leaving federal prison to successfully reintegrate back into their communities. And uh, because we know that if you make it harder for people to succeed when they leave prison, you make it more likely that they'll go back to a life of crime. And that's not in anyone's interest. So there's an example, the the work on this opioid case, which is a a massive multi-billion dollar um, settlement discussion 
Uh, I've been working with Herbert Slatery, uh, who is the co-chair of the Consumer Protection Committee of NAG, uh, for two and a half years. Herbert's a Republican. Uh, but also working closely with us is, is, is Attorney General Paxton in Texas and Landry in Louisiana, both of whom are Republican. And then Tish James from New York and Josh Shapiro from Pennsylvania, and both of them are, are Democrats. And so we are all working together along with all the states because we have a, a common interest, which is to make sure that the people who are struggling with addiction in our communities, because of the, the greed of the large pharmaceutical company manufacturers and distributors, those companies need to help pay to clean up the mess that they've created. And so um, I've been inspired by the way we work together collaboratively. You know, there are a lot of issues where Ken Paxton and I uh, – vociferously disagree. Uh, but what we're able to do is set that stuff aside uh, and deal with each other collegially, professionally, to do what's best for our, our own state residents. You know, that's uh, so refreshing, Josh. And and uh, you have has been an incredible leader in the attorney general world and finding those things that we can agree on and collaborate on. And, uh, and even, you know, when we have those debates and when we disagree on things, uh, we can, we can still be, uh, friends and colleagues and then, uh, turn around again to the business of finding things that we can work on together. So I want to thank you for your leadership, your friendship. Uh, look forward to my final six months as attorney general, finding many, many more ways that we can work together for the, the betterment of not only our constituents in our individual states and territories in the District of Columbia, but for our whole nation. So thanks, I was, Josh. I, I was uh, disappointed that you chose not to run again for re-election as Attorney General because, Tim, you've been a, a great leader and a great colleague uh, and really a, a voice of civility uh, and making sure that we don't allow our, our passions to get the better of us and that we can continue to work together in a, a really effective uh, manner. And so uh, you will be very sorely missed, Tim. Well, thanks, Josh. And I, I'm term limited, just so you know, I would have, I, you know, I would run as long as I can. Uh, I spoke ah, with Tom okay. Miller recently. He's been uh, attorney general for 37 years, the longest serving <laughs> attorney general in the nation's history. If, uh, I told him uh, recently that I would, uh, if he'd just give me a little heads up when he's uh, intending to retire, I would move to Iowa and get residency and run for attorney general there. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. All right. Thanks, Josh. And uh, right, take Tim. care. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The People's Lawyer. We look forward to bringing you additional insights about the work of state attorneys general, including conversations with individual AGs about important legal issues in future episodes. In the meantime, feel free to visit us at naag.org or email podcast at nag.org.